The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Great, so you have an outline in your bulletin. You can follow along if you'd like to. And so we're going to talk, first of all, about uh, Mary, and we're going to read her story. So it's interesting. We're reading from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. We usually read this in December, but here we are in June reading the Christmas story. Kind of maybe some fresh things will hit us reading it off season here, okay? So Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Just a couple things here. This is introducing Mary to us. Uh, she is betrothed right now. We, in our culture, we have engagement. Betrothal was even a little more of a binding commitment. About a year before a marriage, two families would come together and make an agreement that their son and daughter would marry. And so Mary is engaged in our terminology, but more than that, betrothed to Joseph. A couple other things here. Mary is from a very small town. Today, Nazareth, Nazareth is a pretty big city. In this day, it probably would have been more like a very small town of like 100 people or so, a very rural town. And so what's interesting is that Mary most likely was a teenager during this time. You could be as young as 12 years old to be betrothed. Most likely, Mary was uh, like a high school-aged girl, most likely a, a very poor girl. We know this because in chapter 2, when they offer an offering in the temple, um, they, they gave an offering that the poor would give. So most likely poor, most likely very young, uh, most likely uneducated, possibly illiterate. Um, but we're going to see, you know, so again, God's scanning the earth. You, you know, you might think God's looking for the right neighborhood, the right education, uh, but he, he, he's going to see Mary here, okay? So we're introduced to Mary, continue reading verse 28. And the, the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Angels always had to say, Don't be afraid, because the angels are amazingly imposing. I mean, just glorious, amazingly beautiful, strong, intimidating creatures. That's, that's their script. The first time an angel appears, they have to say, Fear not. But especially imagine, I mean, my girls are both teenage girls. I can imagine them in their room and suddenly Gabriel's there. You know, they would freak out. And so first words were, don't be afraid. In fact, it follows them up with, you have found favor with God. You have been blessed by God. You are, you are receiving grace. Literally, the word favor means grace. You're receiving grace from God, an undeserved favor. And the angel goes on and says, verse 31, you will, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, you will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. And listen to what it says about Jesus. He will be great. He will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am still a virgin. So Mary's question there isn't a pushback. It isn't defiant. I think she's just startled and amazed at all this and saying, well, God, how can this be? How can this happen? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth 
in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Again, an amazing message, an amazing moment in Mary's life. She had a plan. She had a man. They were betrothed. She was making wedding plans. All of a sudden, this angel appears and just offers a completely different script, a whole different story. And you got to ask, okay, how is teenage, poor, peasant Mary going to respond to this amazing news? And you see, first of all, the quality of her heart. Why did God choose Mary to be the mother of his son? Look at, look at this quality in verse 38. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Again, God was looking around and he didn't choose Mary because of affluence or education or influence. In fact, all the world leaders at that time wouldn't have even known Mary. But yet God saw a faithful heart. God saw a servant's heart. And so one essential quality of a servant is humility, that you're willing to put yourself second. God is first. God is in charge. Mary, we're going to see later, Mary had a huge view of who God is. And so when it was Mary and God side by side, Mary knew her role. God is great. God is awesome. God is good. I'm going to serve him. This life isn't about God serving me. This life is about me serving God. Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. That's the essence there of humility. And so basically, when God is writing his story, God doesn't need a co-author. God doesn't need an editor. You know, he doesn't need Doug saying, okay, God, I, I heard your plan. Let me add to it. Let me give you some ideas. Let me give you some thoughts. Let me maybe write my own chapter here. God doesn't need that. He just needs men and women. He needs students that are just willing that when they hear his plan and they're invited in, they go. And so that's what God saw in Mary, that she had a servant's heart because she was humble. She saw how awesome God was, and she saw how amazing it is for her to be invited into his story, not him invited into her story. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6 says this, God opposes the proud, and that verb tense is continual. God continually pushes against the proud. If we're proud, that doesn't go well. That's like bug versus windshield, okay? Bug doesn't win that, okay? So God pushing against you is not a good thing. God opposes the proud. Maybe there have been stretches of your life where you look back and it seemed like nothing was happening. There was no fulfillment. There was no joy. There was no meaning. Those are often the times in our life where it's, it's because we were doing our thing instead of God's thing. But the opposite, the flip side is true. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God loves to pour his favor on those who are humble, those who are following him. Those who are doing what he wants them to do. Man, he loves blessing them. You want to get more God's grace in your life, you go humble, okay? Uh, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he can exalt you. And so what Mary had done, uh, again, a poor peasant girl growing up in a rural village, Mary, I believe, knew who God was. And we're going to see that in a little bit. But I believe Mary was very committed to the scriptures, to hearing the scriptures taught. She would have most likely been involved in a synagogue where God would have been preached. Old Testament stories would be prevalent. I believe what she knew about God, she clung to. That's why she trusted God. She put God ahead of herself and said, behold, a servant 
of the Lord. And so that's a challenge to us this morning, is that we are not going to serve a God we don't know. Unless we know this God is great and this God is good, we're not going to serve him. We're not going to let him flip the script in our life. But, but Mary knew who God was. And in fact, the second essential quality of a servant then is surrender, to be willing to let God call the shots and not us. And I don't think we have a, a complete understanding of what Mary saying yes to God's plan would mean for her. I mean, just minimally, it meant that her relationship with Joseph was totally put at risk. Can you imagine that conversation? Hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And God is the one who made me pregnant. You know, so I'm sure that happens all the time, right, in Nazareth. And so, uh, so here's Joseph. How's he going to handle that? How's he going to take that news? Is he going to stick with her? Or is Mary going to be a single mom? Um, how is her family going to take that? How are her friends going to take that? How's the community going to take that? In fact, there were some very harsh things that were done to women who had sex out of wedlock in that day. There could have been a lot of shame and disgrace put on her throughout her life. In fact, there was. There, was, there were times in Jesus' ministry where his opponents would say, at least we know who our father is. You know, just still like 30 plus years later taking a dig at Jesus because of this story right here, that God is the one who was his father, that Mary was a virgin and bore a son. So she's stepping into all that. But also imagine, this is your first child. So and women out there that have had kids, you know, the, the tension, the anxiety, the excitement of your first child. How about that first child is God? Okay, so you're raising God. Don't mess it up. Like, don't drop him. Don't feed him the wrong stuff. Don't let him choke. Um, don't be bad in front of him. Like, be a good influence on God. You know, like, so all that. So you're going to have a baby. That's a huge challenge. And this baby is God. So have fun with that. Go for it, Mary. So all that is just rolling right at Mary. And yet she surrendered to God's plan. May it be to me as you said. She laid down her plans and let God's plans trump her plans. And so that's another sign of a servant. It's another sign of a person that God can use. And again, God's got an amazing plan. He doesn't need our suggestions. He doesn't need our kickback. He just needs us to execute the plan, right? And so I'm just going to pause for a second. If one of the things God needs to use us is that our hearts will be like Mary's, they'll be humble, and they'll be willing to surrender. If we were to take a spiritual EKG this morning, what does your heart look like? Like what, what are the readings there? How submissive are you before God? Can you see clear instances that you are not doing your thing because you're doing God's thing? And so a great chance, because those are the folks that God is going to use. Those are the hearts that as his eyes scan this room this morning, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for servants. He's not looking for people that can impress everybody else with all that you can do. He's just... He's looking for humble hearts, and he'll find them wherever they are. That's the encouraging thing of Mary's story, uh, but that's what he's looking for today. And the second thing we're going to look at today is, um, well, where did Mary get that view of God? And so we're going to look at the faith of a servant, because you're not going to just willingly throw your life down in front of anybody. And I, I believe God loves to show us, show us his greatness and his goodness so we know who is this God that we're giving our lives to. Who is this God that we're letting him write the script and not me? And so we're going to look at the faith of a servant now. And so continue the story. Uh, the, the angel has just given this message to Mary. She said, Behold, servant of the Lord, may it be to me as you said. 
And so right after that, Mary takes a trip to go see her relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is well beyond childbearing age, and she's going to have a son. And if you don't know this story, the son she's going to bear is John the Baptist. So when you read Luke chapter 1, there's two miraculous births. One is an elderly woman having a child. The second is a virgin having a child. The first son will be born is John the Baptist. His role is to come and prepare the way for Jesus. And so something cool happens as Mary travels about 50 miles to go be with Elizabeth. She's coming into Elizabeth's house and gives a greeting. Elizabeth, I'm here. And what Elizabeth says is when she hears that voice, the baby, six-month-old baby in her womb, leaps for joy. And Elizabeth gets fired up and says, my son's already doing what he, what he came to do. He's already pointing to Jesus. And here's Jesus and Mary. And so they're already kind of, he's already worshiping Jesus. And so she's pumped. She's fired up that that's happening. And you can imagine Mary spent three months with Elizabeth, that those two are invited into this unique plan. And there they are firing each other up. And what's amazing is in Luke 1, verses 46 to 55, You see this teenage girl, about 15, uh, again, most likely could not read. Her learning of the scripture would have been hearing it taught and hearing it sung about. This 15-year-old girl busts out this amazing song. It goes 10 verses. It's in your bulletin. I'd encourage you to read it later. What you see in these 10 verses is an amazing song that if you dissect it, one pastor suggests there are at least 17 qualities about God that you see packed into that song. When you're singing about something, you're fired up about it. Like it's even if you're a horrible singer, like you're in the shower just belting out about something, or if it's you in your car, if you ever driven up next to somebody and they're just flailing away singing and they're bad, you know, you don't know what they sound like, but when your heart is fired up about something, you, you sing, even if you can't sing, you sing. And so that's what's going on with Mary now. And I imagine for 50 miles of walking, in hearing this amazing news that God's got this great plan, that the promises to David are being fulfilled, that a Messiah is coming and she gets to be involved in it. She just, I I wonder what she was doing in that whole 50 miles, but I think she's just thinking through. In fact, if you took Mary's song and you laid it beside, in the Old Testament, there was a woman named Hannah that had a miraculous delivery of of a son named Samuel. She sang a song that was amazing. There's Miriam back in Exodus when God's people got rescued out of Egypt. She sang a song. There's parallels between those songs. And I think it's because Mary heard them and sung them and had studied them and heard them taught. So she, hers is distinct, but there's a lot of similar you know, characters that you see in them. So she's busting out this song. And let me just hit a few of the things that you can see uh, from this song that Mary knew about God. Because to serve God, you're going to have to know him. And you're going to want to lay down your life to him because, he, because of who he is. God doesn't just roll up on you and say, hey, serve me. I think God moves first and says, look at who I am. Look at what I've done for you. And come on board. Let's go. Let's go do this together. So here's some things Mary knew about God. Right away she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I mean, that sounds basic to us, but she knew that God is Lord, that he's in charge, that his plans work, that God answers to nobody. There's nobody that's going to come and change God's plan. He's in charge. So any question she has, in fact, could you grab these things that Mary knew? Because you're going to need them this week. As you step into your life and as you're facing challenges, you need these same things that Mary knew. She knew that God's in charge. That means if God's going to have her raise a child who's God, and she's not sure how her 
betrothed guy, Joseph, is going to respond. She's got to just trust, God, you've got that worked out because you are the Lord. You're in charge. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to go in fear because God is the Lord. She says next that God is Savior. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God, you have rescued me. And I want to say this delicately this morning because I know and even after last hour, a lot of people thanked me for this part of the message. But in our community especially, there are a lot of people that have been raised in a tradition that says that Mary never sinned, that Mary was sinless. Um, but what you see clearly, and this isn't me changing what you've been taught, this is me showing you from the Bible that Mary, you know, if we were to say to Mary, um, see her someday and go, Mary, you were sinless just like Jesus. And some people believe that Mary is involved in helping us find salvation. If we were to say those things to Mary, she'd say, no, no, no. Like, no, I am like you. I need a savior. The one you need to put your attention on is my son, Jesus Christ. And so she says, God is my savior because Mary knew she needed to be rescued from her sins, just like we need to be rescued from our sins. We, there's many places I could show you in the New Testament. Another one is in Luke chapter 2, that when she and Joseph go into the temple to dedicate their new son, they offer an offering for sins, for their sins, that they would be parents that could raise their child. So there, there, I, there aren't any clues in the text of the scripture where you can see that Mary was sinless. Mary said, I praise God because he is my savior. Please be really clear here. Mary is not to be worshiped. Uh, Jesus is to be worshiped, but Mary is to be commended. She is an amazing woman of faith, but she is a person just like us who desperately needed a savior. And she followed Jesus with her whole heart. We'll talk more about the journey of the rest of her life. But she says, God is my savior. He has rescued me uh, from my sin. Verse 48, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. It means Mary said, God saw me. Here I am, faithfully loving him, serving him in backwoods, Hicktown, Nazareth, and God saw me, and God showed me favor. That gives hope to all of us. Sometimes you're going through a path or a stretch in your life where you feel like, does anybody know what's going on? God, where, where are you? Mary knew God is omniscient. God knows. God sees. God has a plan. I'm going to trust him because he is all-knowing. The next one, verse 49, God is mighty and God is holy. She says, for he, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Again, if you're going to trust God, you need to believe that he is mighty, that he can do what he says. And then you're not just, you're not just acknowledging that he has all power. You're also acknowledging that he's holy. So he's going to use that power in perfect ways. You don't have to worry about him abusing power in any ways because he's holy. He's perfect. You can trust him. So what a, what a great privilege is whatever you're going through this week, you have a God who is mighty and who is pure and who loves to share his strength with his people. So she celebrated that God is mighty and holy. Verse 50, she celebrated that God is merciful and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their heart. Mary is saying, you know what? I don't understand this plan. I don't know how God is going to carry this through. What he did to really fire up her faith was that she found community. She found somebody else who's in this story 
And again, we, we caught a glimpse of that, that, that when, when Elizabeth first saw Mary, she just encouraged her. She said, you are a woman of faith because you have believed the message of the Lord. And so in that first stage of hearing this amazing story, Mary walked 50 miles to go get with a teammate and be with somebody who would encourage her faith. And I was just thinking through this week in my life, who are the people that I've seen that God has done great things through their lives, that God has taken servant-hearted people and done great things. In each case, I saw these two characteristics, that number one, they were men and women who knew the truth about God. They regularly studied, they regularly worshiped God for how awesome he is. And then second, they all had a teammate. They all had somebody who was walking that, or a group of teammates around them. I could not think of somebody who God is using that either didn't know God or what he's like or that did it alone. Okay, so again, for us to be a key, to play a role in God's story, we need to know who he is and we need to be around people that are following him and they're also part of the story. Okay, so that's the faith of a servant. And let's just talk for a couple minutes about the impact of a servant. Okay, so if this is our heart this morning, if we're giving it to God, we're letting him write the script of our lives, what could God do with us? And so... Um, we looked at this verse, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. So in Mary's life, an amazing story of how God exalted her. God did amazing things through a peasant girl because she honored him and now her name is honored and revered all around the planet. So you look back, what's cool about Mary stepping into the story is that God had been doing something clear in the past, even in the book of Genesis, to get us ready for Mary's role. And the same is true for you, that when you step in to serve God, there's things way before you that God has been doing, and he's just inviting you into the story and into the process. That's what's exciting, is a lot of times you just start serving them. You don't know why. And then boom, you start seeing some connections. And, and so let's just trace Mary's here a little bit. If you go clear back to the book of Genesis, the first man and woman that God created, Adam and Eve, they sinned, they rebelled against God. And so what God did with them is that he pursued them. He didn't kill them, he didn't wipe them out. And just like us, when we sinned, God moved toward us in his love and his mercy. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is pronouncing what's going to happen now in this earth because of sin coming into the world. And in verse 315, he gives a curse to Satan, who at that time was in the form of a serpent, tempted Eve to sin, and Adam too. And so this is God's curse on the serpent. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. So even, it's called the proto-evangelion. It's like the first proclamation of the gospel. That God said, even though there's been this break in the relationship between the people I created, they've sinned against me, I'm going to move toward them, and I'm going to provide one who will crush the head of the enemy, who will crush uh, the serpent's head. And so you will strike his heel, a reference to Jesus on the cross, but he will crush your head. So God's people had a hope. Okay, there is one coming. There is a son coming who will crush our greatest enemy of sin and death. So you fast forward to the book of Isaiah where a prophet named Isaiah wrote 700 years before the time of Christ, and he made this prediction that God himself will give you a sign, and the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. That means God with us. 
And so that's, again, giving more hope, more details to God's people that one is coming who will be God with us, and he will be born of a virgin. So now we see Mary stepping into that story that God's been writing and preparing, and now she is that virgin, and she gives birth to that son who becomes the savior of the world, including her savior. And that's what I want to walk you through now, just a couple more times. Mary is mentioned after the birth of Jesus, which you see happen in her own life, is an amazing transformation from being a mother of a little boy to now being a woman who follows this little boy who grows up to be her savior. It's an amazing journey. John chapter 2, this is Jesus has grown now. He's about 30. He's doing public ministry. This is his first miracle. John chapter 2, Mary and Jesus are at the same wedding. The people hosting the wedding have run out of wine, a huge disgrace in that society. It's an embarrassment on the host. So John 2 verse 3 says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Let me just preface this. If you're a teenage boy at home or younger, and your mom asks you to do the chores today, don't roll up with, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That doesn't work. You will probably lose electronics for the next four months and, and worse. So don't do that. Completely different story here, okay? First of all, that word woman sounds abrupt in our culture. It wasn't. It was, a, it, was a, it was a term of respect, okay? So let's take that off the table. He wasn't being mean to his mom. The other thing is, What's going on here is we are seeing Jesus starting to draw some lines. You know, I am, I'm not your boy anymore. I'm a man. And I think every man needs to, in a healthy way, cut the cord, right? And so there's some of that that's instructive to us as men. But then also Jesus is bringing up here that I have a, I have a new calling now. I have a new purpose for being here that, that really transcends being your son. So he still does what she asks, but that was an interesting statement of starting to, to draw the line. In fact, what I think Jesus is doing is he's inviting Mary to follow him. Let him be her savior. In fact, we see that a little more clearly. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people, and somebody says to him, hey, your mother and brothers are here. And again, this is going to sound harsh, but listen to what Jesus says. He says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and is my brother and my sister and my mother. Again, I think Jesus is reaching out to his family, not that they weren't necessarily, but he's just reminding them, hey, I'm, I'm more than a son and a sibling. I'm your savior and, and, and you need to follow me. And you continue to trace the gospels. One of the powerful moments in Jesus' life is when he is praying in a garden. It's right before he's arrested and put on trial and crucified on the cross. And in that prayer, he is wrestling with his father. And he says, Father, all things are possible for you. You can do whatever you want. Please take this cup from me. Please take the cross away from me. But then Jesus says, but not what I will, but what you will. You know, what's, what's amazing is that's, that's the tone that Jesus had seen in his home from the time he was growing up. Because remember Mary's response, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. May it be to me as you have said. He, he was raised with that. And so again, again, Jesus was his own man and doing his own thing by that time. But just you see the strong influence, a very similar response to the call of God. Not my will, but yours. Fast forward a little bit more. It's the next day, John chapter 19. 
Jesus is hanging on the cross. You know, one of the things predicted over Mary by a prophet was that she would have the privilege and the amazing uh, opportunity to raise God's son, but that there would be a moment where her soul would be pierced as with a soul, as with a sword. And I think it is here in John chapter 19 where we're, we're standing by the cross of Jesus where his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, and when Jesus saw his mother, I mean, this had to be an incredibly painful moment, but we're going to see again Jesus' love for his mom, that um, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple who he loved, that's John, standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Even as he's in pain and agony, and it, what, what you did culturally in that day is that you, as the oldest, the firstborn, like Jesus would have been, you and he was entrusting his mom's care. He was saying, mom, it's going to be okay. Your needs will be met. And she entrusted him to his closest friend on the planet, and that was John. So we see that bond, that close relationship. And what's amazing is, you continue the story, Jesus dies. Three days later, he rises again. He spends 40 days training and equipping his people, and then he ascends into heaven. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, we see the first team, the first team that now Jesus is gone. They're huddling up. They're in an upper room. They're making their plans. What do we do next? Look who's there. Verses 12 and 13 mention all the disciples. And then verse 14 says, and these um, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. How powerful that they'd all made that transition from Jesus being son and brother to now Jesus being savior. And they're on that first team that wants to spread the message that, that Jesus is the savior of the world. And what's interesting is that two of Mary's sons wrote books of the New Testament. You've got Jude and you've got James. So what a heritage of a woman who, again, poor peasant woman, took this amazing opportunity from God with a humble heart, with a heart filled with faith, and God did astonishing things through her. And that's the way God rolls, and that's what God is inviting us into today. You look, let me share two verses with you to give you the same kind of promise and encouragement. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, that we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And, and this is an astonishing thing, that if, if God were to show you your future and the next days ahead, he's got some amazing things lined up for you to do. He's already prepared them. All he's looking for is for a humble heart. And as God's writing his story, how amazing it is that he allows people like you and me to be involved in that. And so let me just pray for us that we would respond as Mary did and that God really would unleash us and our families in this church to be a part of his story. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, thank you for all the things that we can learn from this amazing woman named Mary. And again, we don't worship her, but we we see her, we commend her for an amazing faith. And it fires us up to be men and women, to be students who do what she did and simply trust you. And I pray, God, that you would fill our hearts with faith that's fueled by how awesome you are, that there would be a hunger in us to get to know you better, and that that would fuel our hearts to serve like, like Mary did, to humble ourselves before you. So God, just do amazing things through your people. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. 
May there be just many evidences throughout this room of you just pouring your grace into people's lives and that we just go passionately then and serve people around us. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what we're going to do now is um, we do this once a month at Parkview is we're going to um, celebrate communion together and we're going to honor and celebrate what Mary's son Jesus did for us. And he gave his life for us. He died on the cross. So in a little bit, the ushers are going to pass some bread and a cup um, of juice to you. The bread, Jesus told us to do this so we don't forget what he's done for us. And the bread will represent his body that was broken for us on the cross. The cup will represent his blood that was spilled for us. And it's through what Jesus did on the cross for us that our sins can be forgiven and that we can have a relationship with God, the kind that Mary had, where you can know that God is great, that God is merciful, and you can know those things and it can change the way you live your life. And so the way you enter into that is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I've offended a holy God and I need what Jesus has done for me on the cross. Uh, Please be my savior. Please forgive my sins and I'm ready to serve you. I'm ready to follow you. And so that's the simple gospel message. So if you believe that, you have that relationship with God, communion is a time for you to just celebrate that and honor God. So when you get the cup and the bread, I like to just spend a few minutes and while these guys are singing, you can just prepare yourself and just focus on Jesus and what he's done for you. And if you haven't believed in Jesus yet or you're still trying to figure it out, please don't do this just like a ritual. Just let it go by let the, when they get passed around, just let it go by and just spend this time just asking God, God, could you please show me what this is all about? Can you help me understand uh, who you are and why I need you? Just, he loves answering honest prayers like that. So if you don't know, you have a relationship with God through Jesus, don't do this with us. Just spend this time asking God to help you understand what this is all about. So we pray for our time now. God, I pray we would do just what you asked, that we would remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And I pray these are very meaningful moments for your people, that you draw us closer to you as we reflect on the cross. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.